all good things must come to an end. And so did the Pax Romana, a 200-year-long period of time which represented the Roman Empire at its most powerful. It started with the formation of the empire under Augustus and ended with the death of Marcus Aurelius, the last of the so-called five good emperors. Today, we dive into the life of Marcus Aurelius. You're listening to Casual History. Thank you for that, Jacob. You're welcome. You're welcome. I thought it was appropriate, and uh, I needed to... Uh, I was going to quote it anyway, if I yeah. didn't play it. <laughs> I'm glad you played it. Hopefully I, that doesn't copyright anything. Oh, God, like I ma- hope not. We're not making money off we're of not, this anyway. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're in the clear right now, yeah. But uh, I was going to quote that anyway, so that's great. I so I do want to just start off the bat. Um, if most people who've heard of Marcus Aurelius... I wouldn't say most, but... I know all about him. For me... Love the guy. <laughs> it's from that movie. <laughs> yes. I mean, I yes. didn't exactly get taught Roman history. No, neither did I. In school. Neither so, did I. You just hear about them conquesting things. Yeah. <laughs> and owning things and, you know, not... I've heard some not good stories. Yeah. I've heard some interesting, you know, <laughs> history well, stories. Marcus Aurelius was... The, that was... When did that movie come out? 2000? Uh, Gla- we're talking about Gladiator. Yeah, straight up in 2000, man. That's so, 20 years old. That I was four. <laughs> Gladiator is 20 years old. So that was definitely the first time I heard uh, the name Marcus Aurelius. First of all, you're okay. If if you are a part of the new generation or something or somehow miss this movie, please go back and watch. This movie is a classic. Please do. This yeah. is not a sponsor. We're not going to be talking about Gladiator today. <laughs> Why not? Because it's fantasy. Okay. But, well. but, 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 <laughs> but, but, Marcus Aurelius was a real person. Yes. And so they played off of that, and they did play off of the realness of his heir right. being a horrible person. Yes, okay. being a terrible king. But all of that in between, from or what emperor. I know, is fake. <laughs> okay. From what I know of Marcus's life, well, teach which me, is sir. what we're going to be talking about today. Um, I do want to just say off the bat, thank you guys for sticking with us on the few weird weeks we've had. Yes, it's been since, really weird. Um, the last three weeks, really two weeks, have been kind of weird. Um, so just wanted to say that off the bat, but we are back on. Schedule. We're back and better than ever. We are, um, and we're coming out hard, like quick and fast and furious. Yes, not furious. like the movie. I am livid right now, <laughs> <laughs> currently. Um, yes. So do you? First off, again, always like to do this. Do you mm-hmm. have any? Is the basis of your knowledge of Marcus Aurelius from that movie? Uh, <laughs> yes. Which they didn't really even talk about Marcus Aurelius in this movie that much. You learned that he was a great guy <laughs> that was very nice to a general. Okay. Well, that's it, what I know about this man. I've read a few of his books actually before this. Oh. Well, not a few. So I've read Meditations. Okay, then. Uh, let me be specific. Face, no, I, I wanted to bring up why this okay. came about. And then I saw a. Um, a YouTube video on it, and it made me go down this rabbit hole. And I was like, "Wait a minute, why oh. couldn't I just do a casual history that episode?" Perfect. On Marcus Aurelius. Well, here we are. Um, so he was known as the philosopher king. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you knew that. Which is which is why it's rare. attracted it. Like that's what attracted his books to you, right? Because you're like really into philosophy and different things like that. Well, yeah, I re- I found a book of his before I even knew. So I grabbed the book Meditations and started reading it mm-hmm. before I even knew. I I saw there was a cover, right? I knew he was somehow in the Roman Empire. I did not realize until again I started reading it and a few chapters in, I was like, "Who is this guy?" Like, tried to do some research, and I'm like, "Oh, he was the only, from what I know of, the only Roman emperor to ever be a philosopher." We know of you know in the Roman Plato. There's all these other people that are kind of uh, big proponents of it, but that must have led to a, a very interesting rule. This man. Just because, like, his philosophies were so big picture, you would assume. Again, I'm assuming. I don't know his views. You've read his book. But I'm just saying, like, his being a philosopher, like, you're, you're taught to study the world around you and people and, you, like, you know, and think of things in larger contexts. Well, it was more specifically great for a um, king stoicism, an if that's right, if I'm pronouncing that right, which was devi- the concept that was devised by Plato um, of a ruler who is a lover of wisdom, this kind of attributes, right? Right. And who applied the ideas he learned in his exercise of power. Okay. And you may think, like you said, oh, this guy's rational, supposedly. Sure. Like, that's the whole, like, thing with that's it. You're you being think. about uh, enduring more hardship, right, without mm-hmm. having to get emotional, right, that kind of a thing, being level-headed is what he, you're kind of known as. And you'd think, oh, he'd probably have a tame time as an emperor, right? He's probably a pretty... Um, it well, probably no. wasn't that exciting. Yeah, I, th- I actually think. <laughs> but you're wrong. I think that the the movie. I'm predicting that the movie got the part right where he was at war a lot, even though he was All a philosopher king, and it might have been more of um, is it pushing his views on other people wars? No, it, it, no. So not it wasn't at all. philosophical no. wars, but he was just involved in wars for being a philosopher. That's interesting. It wasn't because he was. It just sure. so it just happened. So and, happened, and it kind of went like, "Wait a minute, this guy's leading." But mm-hmm. I want to get into the life because he's got a really interesting life um, of what's going on. Um, and so I, I thought it would be interesting again, kind of do a character dive. Sure. Um, but um, there's some good things here. I just wanted to say off the front. Um, about okay. uh, Marcus Aurelius was a Stoic, which is you know Stoicism, um, who believed that reason and virtue led to uh, eudaimonia, which is or blessedness. Dis- and despite this, right, his reign as an emperor was far from enlightened or peaceful. Um, right. During his rule, Rome had to deal with two major wars, a rebellion, and a plague well, that dang. ravaged the empire. So just everything that. The entire empire could throw at him. Chaos. Yes, chaos. Um, and, but he was the man for the job. <laughs> I mean, he, he kind of yeah. was the man for the job. And if you're ready, Jacob. Sure. We're going to get into the life. No, I'm not ready. Okay. Wait a second. Can we wait? <laughs> uh, we can. Um, <laughs> we can. And we'll be right back after we'll this, be, no, this commercial gonna, break. We have no commercials. We have no commercials to play. Um, so to start, Marcus Aurelius was born on April 26th, 121 A.D., how many pounds was he? Um, I'd say about ten and a half. He was a hefty wow, boy. Wow, healthy baby. Um, no. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm full of it today. No, it's okay. Um, so to Marcus, he was born. Uh, he was born, his father was Marcus Aeneas Verus. Okay. The third. Long the third. Name. And uh, I like Dem- that name so much. I'm going to name two other Marcus <laughs> after. And uh, his his mother Demetria Demetria Lucilla. Um, his family was wealthy and relatively influential. Um, according to Cassius um, Dio, one of the main sources for the reign of Marcus Aurelius, um, his family was somehow related to Emperor Hadrian. Um, and Aurelius' father was a politician. 
who held the office of praetor, which I'm going to get into what that means. There's some really sure. interesting terms of how they ran their government, right? And I, I'm going to dive into that too. Um, it kind of I'm talking they had about a Marcus, council, but, right? They yeah. had a council um, to speak decisions over that had like heads of each department, kind of deal, right? Yes. So uh, the praetor. Sorry, I'm I, just no, it's okay. You can, all it, of it. It's okay. Um, so I'm going to. Like I said here, I'll go ahead and describe what a praetor, praetor was, if I'm even pronouncing that right. Um, so in English, was a title granted by the government of ancient Rome to men acting in one or two official capacities, either either the commander of an army in the field or less often um, before the army had been mustered. Um, and it was an elected magistratus, mm. um, like, which is the magistrate, which is where that name com- or that word sure. comes from. Um, so that's a little... So an emperor, sorry, a uh, politician. Know, essentially, politician, he was in the ranks. That was what his soldier, father did. General. Yeah, and so did his grandfather. He was big around that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Aurelius's father, like I said, we're not sure the exact date, but he died young when Marcus was young, anyway. Um, and it would have been around 124 AD. So Marcus would have been about three or four. Um, and so, and he was still in office. And later in his life, Marcus wrote that while he did not remember much of his father, he characterized his uh, father by, in quotes, modesty and manliness. manliness Ooh, um, he's a manly man. Which is what he sought to emulate. Okay. And as far as his mother was concerned, Aurelius said that from her he learned, he was a mama's boy, um, religious piety, generosity, notability, refraining from wrongdoing, but even from the thoughts of it and simplicity in diet and to be far removed from the ways of the rich. So he was taught, to, again, kind of brought up in, I would say, a level-headed person is what it kind of leads you to think, right? right? Before he even kind of got into the diving of stoicism and all that, whatever that entails. Mm-hmm. Um, but after his father's, father's dead, death, Marcus and his sister um, uh, were adopted by their paternal grandfather, Marcus Annois Verus II. Mm. Um, who had been made, like their names. Yeah, who had been made patrician during the reign of Vespian. So a patrician... Ah, uh, yes, Vespian. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, okay, so you might... Do you <laughs> I know? don't, I oh, don't okay. know at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who Vespian um, is. So, sure, he's a great guy. So a patrician, again, some of these words, I didn't know what they meant, so I was like, mm-hmm. well, let me just go do a, a dive of what they were. So, Perfect. Explain um, it to me like I'm five. Right. They were originally a group of ruling class families in ancient Rome. The distinction was highly significant in the Roman kingdom in the early Republic. Um, so the so- social structure of ancient Rome revolved around the, the, the main distinction between the patricians and the Pebians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the status of patricians gave them more political power than the plebeians, um, which I think is where pleb comes from. It may be plebeians. Mm-hmm. You know, the word pleb. <laughs> yeah. <I do>. So <laughs> It might be where that comes from. Um, it, Seems to make sense in my mind. Uh, um, if it isn't, that's really funny that you brought that up anyway. <laughs> the relationship between the patrici- patricians and the plebeians eventually caused the conflict of the orders. Um, and this time period resulted in changing the social structure of ancient Rome. Um, the origin of the class remains obscure, but the patricians were probably leaders of the more important families or clans who formed the major part, if not all, of the Senate at the time hmm. of the primitive period. Um, and then as well as the families from whom were drawn the most distinguished part of the early Calvary. And they constituted an early nobility of birth and kind of, you know, led right. to the, those uh, class distinctions, which were highly um, relevant and important in Rome society. Back I'm very then. sure. Very sought after. Right. 
Uh, and like I said, his father had been a praetor, as I already mentioned what that was. And his grandfather served three times as a consul, which I didn't know what that was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which means a consul held the highest elected political office of the Roman Republic. So each year, the citizens of Rome elected two consuls to serve jointly for a one-year term. The consuls, consuls alternated in holding fasces each month um, when both were in Rome, and the consul's imperium extended over Rome and all of its provinces. There were two consuls in order to create a check of the power on any one individual. Um, and after the estab- establishment of the empire in 27 BC, the consuls became more symbolic represent- representatives of Rome's republican heritage and held, held very little power, though, uh, later, on in li- later on in their um, whatever um, life, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and authority with the empire acting, really, the emperor kind of took over to be acting as supreme authority to the consuls. Um, right. So but he in, so he was surrounded in a family that had lots of from political uh, power, and he was no he was kind of which uh, kind of set him up for his life, right? I mean, that's what yep. kind of set him up is again uh, most of the time in those things you are born into situations and families, and uh, that's how a lot of people get their way because that you know you have a dynasty of a family, and it was expected of him get in. Uh, for Marcus to follow in their footsteps, right? right. That's kind of how it, it happened. And in 127 AD, um, when he was just six years old, he was enrolled in the Equestrian Order. Um, nomination. It was a nomination specifically chosen by Emperor Hadrian himself. Um, so again, he was kind of like a chosen right. person, um, but we're not exactly sure why Hadrian did this, right? His father was dead at this point. Um, and so it just was kind of interesting. Um, other than that, we don't really have much more information about the early years mm-hmm. of of Marcus, um, apart from the names of a few of his teachers. And I, I looked up a few, one of these guys cause it's important. Um, but so a few of his teachers such as, uh, Diognetus <laughs> and Alexander of Coteum. Um, okay. And later it's known he was also tutored by Apolli- Apollonius of uh, Chalcedon. Um, so he specifically was an ancient Greek Stoic who taught philosophy. Um, and he was one of the first who introduced him to Stoicism, uh. the philosophy that deeply influ- influenced all of his aspects of life sure. later on. Um, and he was, from what I read in a separate so a article... Right, but he was brought in specifically to teach him and his so he adopted was being brother. groomed from a very young age, and there's no real uh, clear reason why per se, besides maybe that his political ties with his yeah, family. Yeah, there, there's a few. Like well, I'm going to get into kind of it, there's a kind of a timeline that it's easy to follow, and I'll touch base on this is how he happened here because when his father's died and then his mother ends up dying, mm-hmm. I'll get into where what happened to him, who took control of kind of sure. became his father and kind of rolled. Uh, kind of led him to being emperor because he wasn't at all supposed to be emperor right he was right he was this other family how did that happen right exactly how did a not orphan right because he got adopted he ends up being adopted an yes. adopted person like adopted son uh-huh gets to be emperor is uh yeah you would think that'd be lower on the totem pole yeah and so things kind of lined up for him which i'll touch on but uh, again i want to try to provide as much context so stoicism for people who don't know um it's a philosophy of personal ethics informed by its system of logic and its views of the natural world. So according to its teachings as social beings, the path to happiness or blessedness is found in accepting the moment as it's, as it presents itself by not allowing oneself to be controlled by the desire of pleasure or by the fear of pain, um, by using one's mind to understand the world and do one's part in nature's plan. 
and by working together and treating others fairly and justly. That's kind of the, the paragraph, you know, overview of that's kind of what it is. Okay. Um, now, like I said, so here's where the story gets interesting. So the, the story of his rise to power is a bit convoluted. Um, but so he was born during the reign of Hadrian, which I've mentioned, who had no children of his own. Um, therefore, he felt when he fell ill in 136 AD, he thought it would be a good idea to appoint an heir. He adopted Lucius Canisius Commodus, who was, an, who was who is as an emperor in waiting, took the name Lucius Aelius, right? Mm. However, this turned out to be a bad choice as Aelius died at the start of 138 AD. Oh. So next up, Hadrian adopted Antonius Pius as his heir. Are you telling? Oh, so he's okay. Sorry, I mean, you mean adopted as in not like physically he's adopting these kids, right? He is. Yeah, he's appointing so, them as heir. Wow. So, but so after that happened, right? <laughs> okay. He died, right? Yeah. Shoot, I lost my uh, place. Here we go. Um, right. So he Hadrian then adopted Antonius Pius as his heir, who became emperor later that same year after Hadrian died on July the tenth. Okay, so as it happened, Antonius was also Marcus's uncle, as he married Faustina, his father's sister. Okay, so it's like <laughs> it's a it's a Got chart it. you're gonna have to write out. Yep. But now Hadrian's adoption of Antonius came with a few conditions, right? Um, in turn, Antonius had to adopt the surviving son of his predecessor, a seven-year-old boy, also named Lucius Commodus, as well as his own nephew Marcus Aurelius, and all of a sudden. Aurelius became the eldest son of the emperor. Oh, wow. Right? So like, just like was, that. Just like that, which meant he was next in line for the throne. Right. Which is like a pretty crazy, um, pretty one, two, three. What a weird one, set two, of circumstances three. for that to happen. Uh-huh. Um, and so, some historians, I want to put this in, in, the, in there, speculate that this had been Hadrian's atten- intention all along. To try to get him in line. Right. Like his descendants to become... Although we, we, why the emperor granted so much favor to Aurelius, we're not really sure. Maybe he just liked the kid. Maybe he thought yeah. he was a smart, you know, who knows? You never maybe. know. He's just like, uh, maybe he had a good bond. Maybe they were like tight. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, know. I don't know. Uh, not really sure. So I like you, kid. I'm going to make you emperor one day. I guess you know he, he kind of set it up for that. Um, so Antonius was now the new emperor, right? And to strengthen the bond with his newly adopted son, he also had Marcus Aurelius marry his natural born daughter. Faustina the Younger. Started to solidify the family. But you see how that's... So that's his father's sister <laughs> is who this guy's married to. They had a daughter named Faustina the Younger, which oh. is technically Marcus's... Oh. Uh, I don't even know what the relation is there. Oh. But but they weren't because he became adopted, but it's still his it's uncle. It's still weird. Yeah, it's still interesting. So um, anyway... The two of them would go on to have 13 children together. 13? So happy marriage, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and, of course, Marcus's sudden heir to the throne brought with it a ton of new promotions. <laughs> he was made consul in 140 AD and also became the head of the equestrian order. He joined the col- colleges of priests, which was big. Um, he took took up residence in the imperial palace and was made quaestor, quaestor sorry, to learn about the paperwork and oration that were needed to rule Rome at the time. Yeah, so basically, again, still being groomed. Uh, he was thrown he in. He has to learn everything. Yep, and the highest office he reached while Antonius was still emperor was patrician prefect, sorry. Which yes. this is a that's a big title. It's a huge title, I guess. Really, and so I, again, I had to do a dive. So prefect was a high office in the Roman emperor, empire, 
originating as the commander of the Praetorian Guard, an elite unit of the Imperial Roman right. Army. Were the guards that guarded the emperor himself? Right, whose members served as personal bodyguards wow. and intelligence for Roman emperors. I guess if you're going to trust anybody, you trust family, you know? Right, and the office gradually acquired extensive legal and administrative functions later on, with its holders becoming the emperor's chief aides. So it was a big title, and he kind of gained, that was the highest title he reached before um, his adopted father died. Um, right. So at one point, he also changed his name to Marcus Aelius Aurelius Verus. Uh, Caesar, but we're going to call him Marcus Aurelius to make it, you know, just so we know who we're talking about. Short and sweet. (laughs) Meanwhile, his adopted brother, right, because he has another younger brother this time, took on the name Lucius Verus and followed a similar path, serving both as a quester and consul. One noticeable difference between them was their physical strength, though. Marcus was a, in quotes, frail in body, as Mm. Cassius did, as Cassius Dio put it, um, who is where a lot of this comes from. Sure. Um, while Verus was a vigorous man of younger years, proficient in hunting, wrestling, and excelling in more athletic man. P- pursuits. Yeah. He was more the, the, the athletic brother. That's yes. really about it. Yeah. Um, and so around 160 AD, we're moving forward here, Antonius fell ill, right? His adopted father, the emperor. Sure. Um, he died the following year, ending what was then the second longest reign of the Roman Empire after Augustus. So a few days later, he was deified at the request of his sons. And in his book, Marcus Aurelius spoke very fondly of his adopted father, saying that no other man had more influence on him in his youth. So he liked the guy. It wasn't a, with yeah. no contention, like they obviously bonded, like, I don't know if Marcus Aurelius just got along with everybody. <laughs> yeah. Hadrian making him... In line to be emperor. You well, hey, know. if you're making somebody emperor, you might as well like him. Um, so Antonius was gone, and at Rome needed an, an emperor. And the Senate was ready to confirm Marcus on the spot as the new emperor. But something curious happened. Mm-hmm. Marcus refused to take office oh. unless his younger brother, Lucius Verus, was made co-emperor alongside him. No way. Which is unheard of, right? Oh, yeah. Never, it's not done. I'm sure they balked immediately at well, that it was, because it's never been done. It was unusual, but the Senate accepted. Really? Mm-hmm. So they made them co- You don't know this. I didn't know this. I mean, co-emperors. Like, he wasn't the single emperor by himself. I'm sure he maybe eventually becomes that. Eventually does, but yeah. he was he refused office unless his brother was named co-emperor. Interesting. Um, and they, the Senate accepted this request, and on March 8, 161, marked the first time that the Roman emperor empire was ruled by two men at the same time. Wow. That being said, of course, it was never in question who the true leader was. Marcus besides Aurelius. the fact that Marcus was the chosen heir, he also was the older sibling. He had experience helping run the empire previously and was the only one with the title of Pontifex Maximus. Um, I'm sure that breeds a little bit of resentment, I would imagine, as the younger brother. No. Really? No. no, no. They get like, along just fine. They yeah. know their places. Well, they it almost felt like, felt like it, con- it sounds almost as much of a rational person as you could ask for in, in that kind of position. He seemed to be. From everything I've read, he seemed to be like... if. If you were a rational person in today's world and you were thrown back in to be as emperor and you're like, well, I know I don't want my brother to be also jealous who, and I want to make a good relationship. I don't I can't, I want to want him to be the emperor with me. As well as, as well as they both grew up in the same household watching their father run it. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, maybe it was also him having humility. Yeah. Him going, 100%. I don't know how to do this and it would be better if I could have somebody else to help me. And his brother just seemed to be the, the right choice. The only other person with experience right there next to the emperor and had 
and I think he yeah. was. I mean, if if I'm if I'm reading into something more, this is where I'm reading into something more. But I felt like I felt like when I was reading a lot of these things, when it was stating this that you know they were uh, how unusual this was. You we know this how not unusual killing someone in in oh, line sure. in front of you was to get to that point. Are you telling me this was 3D chess and he uh, was like, hey, this is an easy way to make w- sure he doesn't try to... Well, well, they're brothers, first of all, and I know shit happens, right? Sure. right? But wouldn't that even give him an even greater opportunity to get rid of him somehow? <laughs> Listen, it didn't. It Whatever it did, it worked. He, The sign of, hey, I'm not doing this without you. You're my brother. We're going to be yeah, co-emperors. We'll even though he is the true leader, like everyone knew he was the emperor, yeah. but he he was, you know, there. He was just as powerful and could do stuff too. We're good but, on him. But one of the other uh, titles Ma- uh, Marcus had at this point, which kind of led to all, everyone knowing he was the ruler outside of those things I mentioned, was like I said, Pontifex Maximus, uh, which was the hi- chief high priest of the College of Pontiffs. It was a body of the ancient Roman state whose members were the highest ranking priests of the state religion. The college consisted of the Pontifex Maximus and the other pontifices, um, the Rex Secorum, the Fifteen Flamens, and the Vestals. <laughs> that name I know of, I screwed. Um, the college limited to supervising both public and private sacrifices, but as time passed, the responsibilities increased, right? Okay. But he had all these titles, basically, that kind of led to, we know who the guy is. Marcus yeah. is the guy. Marcus is the guy. Um, and contrary to what was typical, right, the brothers, like we said, stayed on good terms for the extent of their joint rule and never did one try to overthrow the other. Well, good. So I was like, hey. Sounds hey. like all's well that ends well. Everything ends peacefully. Everything's great. Well, no, no. Um, <laughs> Wait, I, what? <laughs> History is <laughs> I wanna, full so, of terrible things? <laughs> basically. So we're going to talk about, about the things that started happening. Like I said, there's two wars, a plague, um, and kind of craziness that happened during his rule. Um, and I, the first one being the war in Parthia. Um, now, you might think that the rule of a calm, practical man would mark a time of peace. Um, but, of course, it wasn't. Um, in fact, almost the entire 19-year reign, Marcus was involved in one conflict or another. So first was the Parthian Empire, which was a powerful Middle Eastern faction, which had been around since the 3rd century BC. Um, this was not the first time these tow- two powers clashed, but it seemed that every time the Parthians wanted to expand west, they eventually ran into the dominion of Rome. Sure. And this usually took the form of the Kingdom of Armenia, a land that acted as a buffer at the time between the two empires, who both wanted to install an Armenian king who served their own interests, right? Mm. So they were playing games. Yeah, of course. That that stuff was going on. And at this point in time, the Armenian king was firmly under Roman control. It Mm. seems every few decades, though, the Armenians get the same idea to remove the king and replace it under Parthian influence. And in this case, it was King uh, Vologasus IV. (laughs) Cool. Um, In 161 (laughs) AD. Wait, what was that? Sorry. (laughs) The fourth? Yeah, the fourth. Okay, um, the fourth. In 161 AD, he marched into Armenia and deposed of King, uh, whatever yeah, his name got was, rid of him and replaced him with his own uh, his own son, which oh. was unheard of, really, because normally you took someone that was in the ranks, but just was favored to you. Right. And he put his own son there, and the Romans were taken taken by surprise by this move, and their initial reply was disastrous. So there were two Roman provinces that bordered the kingdom of Armenia, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Cappadocia and Syria. Marcus, uh, another, not Marcus Aurelius, 
who was the governor of Cappadocia, decided to make matter take matters into his own hands at this point. Oh, Even though he wasn't supposed to act without instructions from the emperors. Right. Um, allegedly, though, an oracle convinced him that he would overpower oh, yes. the Parthians. So he took a legion and marched into Armenia. He reached the city where his entire army was surrounded and massacred. So seizing the upper hand at this point, right, after killing him, the yeah. actual governor and his legion, the Parthians invaded Syria, embested the Romans there, and the first wave of the war Basically, they wiped candidly the, the Romans, um, and and it didn't look like things were going to get better for the Romans. Um, and they were led by two emperors, right? Who were at this point to note they were completely inexperienced in military matters. Sure, um, they also had threats to deal with in other frontier provinces, such as Britain and Germania Superior. So basically, they were fight. Things were starting to happen, explode all around them. Sure. And they didn't really have any yeah. experience but in even this. that like that that sounds like yeah a lot to one handle. person's <laughs> false move leads to them thinking that they have an advantage and they need to push it uh-huh because there's been a stalemate for so long and then here there you are you end up in a war r- randomly like that yep um and so basically the defeat and retreat of roman forces in syria created a perfect condition for a rebellion as well um so as they're getting attacked on all angles um, eventually Marcus decided that Lucius Verus should go, so his brother mm-hmm. should go in person to guide the war against Parthia. Um, and if an, anyone was expecting Verus to be a great, inspiring commander, this was the moment that basically trashed that notion. Oh, no. Um, he didn't do good? As it turned out, Verus <laughs> was the type of leader who let others do the fighting for him. Oh, so no. allegedly he spent most of the Parthian uh, campaign. I thought he was the more athletic brother, hunter, right, manly right. man. Yeah. Well, he, <laughs> allegedly, allegedly he spent most of the most of the campaign at a resort in Antioch where he feasted and gambled daily, Jesus. surrounded by his entourage. Jesus. And as it's quoted in the history of Augusta, which I will mention is touted highly as it could be real, could be fake. It's, but it's a book that kind sure. of try to gain something from. But it was quoted in the history of Augusta, um, the book, while legions were being slaughtered, while Syria meditated revolt and the east was being uh, devastated, Verus was hunting in Apulia, traveling about through Athens, accompanied by orchestras and singers. Having, having a vacation. Quotes. He was listen, having a good man, time. <laughs> listen, man, it's, it's rough running an empire. You know what I mean? You're running a huge empire. People are mad. People don't like you. You're yeah. running with your brother. Your brother's got this. Everybody knows he's a leader. Like, why don't you just take a couple of days off? You know? Yeah. It so was it, was a, it was a big conflict here right at this point, and he was kind of shying away, and they were, weren't doing well. Right. But fortunately for Rome, there were a few other generals who left with Verus um, and did continue on their way to Parthia. Um, and some of the more important, important ones were uh, Stasius Prisius and Avidius Cassius. Um, remember the last one, Avidius Cassius, if you can, because uh, he'll come in later as okay. an important figure. Um, but he, they're more, the main proponents, basically, um, and getting a lot of the credit for re- repelling the attack and then conquering backwards. So they attacked Armenia and conquered the capital and then restored uh, Sohamius to the throne, um, the previous king who was sub- subservient to Rome, basically, the king yeah. who was their own pocketed Man, king. imagine those people around there that aren't involved by either. There's a like, God, he's back again. Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> it's like every every six months, like, who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna who be? Who do I gotta bow to next? Who, whose feet am I kissing next week? I don't know. Yep. 
Um, <laughs> like I said, most of the credit for winning back the fight uh, was to Avidius Cassius, where afterward he made his way back to Syria, where he eliminated any threat of rebellion at this point as well, um, and in, was installed as the new governor of that province later by Marcus, um, by Marcus Aurelius. We're good, it seems like he deserved and it. And later he would grant him control. Later he would grant him control over the, all the Roman territories in Asia. Oh, wow. So a decision okay. he would come to regret. Oh, no. Why? <laughs> and at this point, we're going to take a break. I don't know why I have high... <laughs> like, I I feel bad. Yeah. Like, I like this... <laughs> I don't I like know the Mar- guy. I like Marcus Aurelius. From reading his book, he seems like Interesting. a pretty wise guy. Anyway, yeah. we'll get back so, into right. it. When we, come, when we come back, we talk more about Gladiator. Thanks. Yep. And we're back. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to that ad. If there was an ad during that break, if there wasn't, we just kept talking. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. If there was an ad, thanks for listening and help support the podcast. Um, you can find us on socials at Casual X History everywhere. Let's get back in. There's a lot to dive into. Normally, we'd kind of go on there a little bit, but there's a lot. Okay. Um, so I kind of just want to dive right back into it. Well, you do what you got to do. So as we left it, right, um, it was a decision he'd come to later regret. Was the last kind of words i spoke right, letting this general run such a large part of his but we're gonna we're gonna empire. leave that for another we're gonna leave that for okay. a few minutes later so now we're gonna get into the antonian antonian plague so despite just winning a war things soon went from bad to worse for the roman empire mm. the soldiers returning home did not come alone <laughs> they brought with them a mysterious illness that started one of the first known pandemics in history mm. it became known as the antonian Antonian Plague, also known as the Plague of Galen, named after the Greek physician who described the disease and its symptoms in his treatise methods, uh, Medinia. Okay, I'm interested. Please describe the disease. So it caused fever, vomiting, swollen throat, diarrhea, thirstiness, violent coughing fits, and produced a foul odor and skin Ooh. rashes all over the body. So oh, basically, God. your body sucked. <laughs> oh, God. Everything, also, every device went wrong. Let's just, let's just not forget to mention the times that we're in. So, like, having things that are, like, inconvenient and terrible, like diarrhea now, comparative to a time where there's no indoor plumbing. <laughs> well... <laughs> Okay, did, sorry. Did they have no, indoor yeah, plumbing? They, they might didn't. have. Did I, they? Don't, I, don't I don't think know. so. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have running water inside a house, yes. Right. I get what you're saying. Right. <laughs> I'm just imagining the time where, like, cleanliness is probably not the highest on everybody's priority list, and you got people having breaking out in full body skin ratches and... <laughs> Things like this is happening. Yeah, it would just be double awful. Right. And, and the illness lasted for about two weeks, so if you got it. Um, and the ones who were lucky enough to survive, of course, became immune, which was a... Wow. Good thing. Okay. So, um, but the nature of the disease is still a mystery, mm. but it's suspected to be smallpox. Oh. Um, some see this That's as crazy. a mark of the beginning of the fall of the Western Roman Empire. Um, at its height, it killed thousands of people a day as it spread throughout all of the Roman territories, and it lasted until around 180 AD. And some believe that the plague of Cyprian, um, Cyprian sorry, uh, which appeared 70 years later, was in fact another outbreak of the same illness. So wow. lastly, the plague may have claimed the life of Lucius Verus, uh, because we don't have an exact details around his death, um, but we do know he felt ill, so the brother emperor uh, felt ill in 169 AD and died on January 23rd, leaving Marcus as the sole emperor of Rome. How, how crazy would that be if that was smallpox? Like, if that is the real case, 
that like that's the first known case in the world of smallpox? Well, it's the first known pandemic. I don't know if it's I can't like it was kind oh, of Oh, if small again categorized like they, as the first pandemic. I don't know if it was the first kind of maybe it's the first documented case of smallpox. I don't know that. I couldn't say. Um sure. it's worth a Google. Well, that's but that's the thing too <laughs> like I say first documented like it would be official that they've named it smallpox. That's probably not true then. But I just mean like if it was, if it ended up being smallpox and they didn't know what to call it and other if, if it broke out in other places, they didn't know what to call it either and they didn't talk to each other, right? Like it it would just be crazy if that's a disease because um, it's, it's basically eradicated now. Like we've yeah. basically eradicated it from everything. But um, – it would be just, weird. Just crazy to think that like a, a disease that uh, shows up somewhere like that that far back in history is like not still around, but like still relevant in some weird way. Yeah, relevant it's not just to something know, that we, had a run. We know the name of it. You know? Yeah, it would be so, crazy if that was. Yeah, if that's the case. So that was going on. So imagine all that going on, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So that they come back from war. That that's still happening, and then we get into the Maramonic Wars. So the plague was just one of the crises that Marcus had to contend with following the end of the Parthian War. The other one was of barbarian invasions by Germanic, 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 sorry, German, Germanic people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, along its northern frontier, which was also known as the Limes Germ- Germanicus. Um, and such border conflicts were relatively common for the Romans and represented an almost constant threat to their utmost, out, outermost provinces. So, in fact, when the enemy was strong and determined enough, they represented a threat to Rome itself. As just a few centuries later, the heart of the empire was sacked multiple times by the invading Goths and Vandals. Um, And the situation was not as dire this time around, but the Roman Empire was clearly at a disadvantage. It had just finished a war, meaning that its coffers were getting empty and its Mm -hmm. people were growing weary of conflict. Yeah, And then much of its northern border was per- poorly defended because of this, uh, because the troops had been redirected to Parthia at the time. And the last, there was, of course, the plague to deal with. So it was kind of a storm of all that's going on that's, that kind of, yeah. um, which they don't know the reason why these people started to attack, but it felt like uh, it could have got wind well, that opportunity, stuff was happening. Right? Right. Like things started like looking bad. People in Rome were getting sick, uh, people moving away from their side of the border. Seems like a perfect opportunity, just like the other one was an opportunity, you know? Right. And so the main belligerent besides the Romans, of course, were the Germanic uh, Marcomania, which is hence the Marcomonic Wars. Um, they were joined by another tribe called the Quaid um, and the Lazages, Lazages, which is actually, that's the correct pronunciation. I heard that word too many times in YouTube okay. videos, but it's a funny name because it's spelled lazy G-E-S. Oh. <laughs> so it's Lazages. Nice. Um, actually, as a Samaritan people originating in the steppes of Eurasia. So that's where okay. they came from. So now, just was, to set the scene. Was there, a, is there happened to be a, no, like, a there's no, 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 that no. ran these wars nope. that we know of or <laughs> no. has a name? Uh, Jacob, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still saying on this. <laughs> Trying so, to figure out what's real and what's not. So because of the other issues in the Roman Empire, Marcus was ready to respond. He was ready just because kind of already sharpened from the other warrior just got done with, even if your men are weary or in other places. So the Roman army marched to Pannonia and set up a base at Aquilia. This time, both emperors were there to lead the troops. Um, This is before he died. Before he died, right. right? Um, And according to the history of Augusta, many tribal leaders immediately started retreating or asking for pardons. 
and for a while it seemed like this conflict would fizzle out as soon as it started. But Marcus Aurelius was concerned that this was all a ploy to stall for time, and he wanted to keep pursuing the enemy. But this was when Lucius Verus, right, fell ill and died. Right. This was his brother. This is when he died. And so the remaining emperor had returned to Rome at this time to make preparations for his brother's funeral. Um, and then he returned to battle a year later uh, with his son-in-law, Claudius uh, Pompeius. <laughs> it was during this time that the tribes gained upper hand, right, when he's gone. And made several big blows along with the destruction of the sacred religious temple, the temple of Eleusinius Mysteries. Have you ever heard about this? No, okay. I have not. So this is really interesting because this connected this point in time when I heard this. I was like, wait a minute. I've heard of this before. Mainly because I watched a podcast with Joe Rogan Casual and another guy. Mm-hmm. And and he was a uh, expert on this. And the, the, the subject was about how psychedelic drugs have been an influence and been a proponent of a lot of uh change in temples throughout history even if some weren't documented or whatever we sure. can speculate right and you can and, speculate oracles and like people that uh, like kings went to and emperors went to for guidance could have been possibly again like these are all hy- hypotheticals that we believe that you know like people seeing visions and being able to tell the future could have been possibly been psychedelics of some sort exactly which mm-hmm. is what this temple so this temple uh of the lucanius Lusanian, sorry, mysteries, um, was a temple there. And so the the thought that I learned from this guy, which connected to me, was that there was all these people that would come here for an awakening, right? That was kind of what it was known for. Oh. Um, and it was, there was a, the mysteries are an actual set of, like, uh, things that happen, uh, like uh, tribal rituals. Oh. Um, and so I, I, I wanted to touch on this because I thought this was a cool little side jaunt that I wanted to do a side jaunt real quick. So the temple... Um, is where initiations were held every year uh, for the cult of uh, Demeter. And based on Pantheonic Sanctuary of Eleusis in ancient Greece. So they are the most famous of the secret religious rites of the ancient Greece. So their basis was an old agra- agrarian cult. And there's some evidence that they were derived from the religious practices of the Mycenaean period. And the mysteries represented the myth of the abduction of Posphone from her mother Demeter by the king of the underworld Hades, right? It's a lot of, that was kind of whatever the history that kind of got you to what that kind of came from. And in a cycle with three phases, the descent, which is the loss, the search, and the ascent, with the main theme being on ascent, right? Okay, the word keywords is there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reunion with her mother. It was a major major festival during the Hellenic period uh, era and later spread to Rome, right? So similar religious rites appear in the agricultural societies of Near East and the Minonian Crete, um, and the rites and ceremonies and beliefs were kept secret and consistently preserved from antiquity. So for the initiated, the rebirth uh, symbolized the eternity of life which flows from generation to generation, and they believed that they would have a reward in the afterlife. There are many paintings and pieces of pottery that depict various aspects of the mysteries. And since the mysteries involved visions and conjuring of an afterlife, some scholars believe, right, that the power and longevity uh, of the mysteries are a constant constant set of rites, ceremonies, and experiences that span two millennia came from psychedelic drugs. Mm. 
that was a really interesting point. That I went down crazy. a whole side rabbit hole. Yeah. And there's a lot more on that, but that's a touchstone there for you to kind of know. Yeah, it's really crazy. The, just when they say they they destroyed one of their most sacred religious temples, that was the temple. So they that was what it was. These barbarians did. These oh. other people, not barbar- oh. you know, the tribes that came yeah. in. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, there's a whole other um, side, John, I could get into, but that's kind of a touchstone there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I won't, uh, I won't get back into that anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading through my notes to, <laughs> to figure out where I want to go here. So, like I said, the Macromonia kept pushing at this point until reaching Italy itself, marking right. the first time in over 270 years that an enemy of Rome managed to penetrate into the heart of the empire. Now, Marcus Aurelius realized that the Macromania posed the greatest threat and considered them top priority. Legions from other frontiers that they were still fighting yeah. um, were p- repositioned to c- combat this, um, uh, basically dive. And by the end of 171 AD, they were able to push the Macromania out of Roman territory and then continued their pursuit until they were defeated completely. Oh, wow. um, many of the smaller tribes began seeking audiences with Marcus as they were on the run, and some <laughs> of them agreed to surrender. Others offered alliances. And one important uh, of them, of the tribes, were the Quadi, who agreed to a peace treaty but broke it and war, and then went to war again, right? <laughs> right. Marcus then defeated this again and placed a pro-Roman king. But the Quadi had him deposed and renewed their battle yet again. Oh, my They hated God. these Romans. <laughs> um, and so at this Which point— Which I've heard that Romans are— you know, weren't the greatest. Oh, there's a lot of either. there's a lot of bad there. There's, um, in history, there's just a lot of atrocities, and it's hard to keep up with. There's no real good guys. Yeah, just crazy. Um, well, the two sides at this point met in a battle, and the Quadi would have defeated the Romans. But this is another interesting note here, right? If not for a divine intervention, supposedly, according to Cassius Dio, right, who we've mentioned a few times, mm-hmm. um, and he says that one of Marcus's Marcus Aurelius's Retinue, an Egyptian magician called Arnifus prayed to Mercury, right, and summoned a storm. And while the Romans were reinvigorated by the pouring of rain, the Quadi were struck by lightning and engulfed in flames. Now, I'm going to make a connection here for you that we've discussed before. Okay. Almost two podcasts back. Okay. The Knights Templar, when we discussed... The oh um, the, my, the, the, ten, uh, <laughs> the ten commandments right right and I was so describing yeah, the Ark one of the of, covenant one of the supposedly uses was lightning and fire and supposedly it was some machine that possibly so there's a lot of if people want to know what we're talking about there's some conspiracy some you're trying to say that Marcus hid for all some I'm short saying, period of time no 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 all I'm saying is speculate the Egyptian <laughs> yeah. right uh, yeah. magician. Okay, first right. of all, we already know how deep my roots in the conspiracy love yeah, goes. Of course. <laughs> of course. The Egyptian people. Have other people, have you looked it up? Have other people speculated this I as didn't well? even get into that because there's so much. I c- well, you need to, after this <laughs> podcast, you need to take a look. But that drew a little peek in my mind going, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. That wait sounds minute. wild, if wild. that's true. And they were going to lose, supposedly, until what it really a divine is, intervention. What it, Why do you call it divine, first of all? Because <laughs> it's a godly, superstition, superstitious intervention. I'm just imagining now, like, instead of something as epic as that, it was some dude that just blew their minds with, like, we can take you, like, you know, the two hands trick? 
just in front of a cra- <laughs> like a crowd, like let me take these two ribbons apart. Yeah. Oh my God, how did I do well, that? Supposedly, <laughs> supposedly he prayed for a storm. Right. And came the storm, and all that Marcus's side had was rain, and then the other side lightning engulfed and in flames. <laughs> so. I don't wow. know. That's what it sounded like to me. My brain was, it went ding. I'm like, wait a minute. I've heard this use before in describing the the possibilities of using the Ark of your Covenant mm-hmm. in battle. So I'm not going to speculate any further. We're trying to be, I'm trying to be as fact-based as possible, but I do love a good, wait yeah. a minute. I, I do like a good mystery. And that kind of touched into it. Um, and so anyway, um, okay. so at this point, Empire triumphs. Emperor's triumphs are recorded on the column of Marcus Aurelius, still located, by the way, in Piazza Colana, Colana, sorry, whatever, in Rome. It's still located <laughs> in Rome. That's what it's I'm trying to say. It's still located in Rome. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. it's modeled on the triumphal triumphal column of Trajan, who, uh, who celebrated his victories over um, the various um, enemies, I guess. So who's Trajan? What do you mean? Trajan. So what I'm describing here is... Um, that uh, the emperor's triumphs are actually recorded on oh. on a a column like a oh, column of okay uh, that's cool yeah so you can so, still locate so they so built, it can be found yeah they built a column to record all these like yeah battles and, and it's the, the only thing I was saying when I was uh, when I was mentioning that it was uh, modeled on it was modeled on a pr- another guy who also did the same thing oh um, okay uh, anyway but uh, so I also already mentioned that also during his years in battle Marcus started writing down his personal philosophies which is the book oh, I'm cool. talking about. Uh, which formed the basis for one of the most influential work, works on Stoicism. Even today's book titled Meditations is still a popular seller. I will attest. I bought it a few yeah, years ago. Is it good? Yeah, dude, it's great. Is you can take it. it. It's, over there the in the, it's over there in the um, um, bookshelf. So you really have done your research. Yeah, I, 100%. I love the guy. I <laughs> wanted a tattoo. There's a cool tattoo of a, a broken statue of his face. It's kind of like a oh. cool little thing I wanted at one point just because I love his book so much and his, te- his words. And it's really insightful, oh, like cool. really insightful. Um, anyway, um, but it was never intended, by the way, to be published when he was writing it. Um, some argue he wrote it for, just for himself, or mm. that he was ri- writing it for his sons, right? You know, kind of to as learn, like a to pass yeah, down what pass he, down his, what he learned. Uh, wisdom, right? Um, but just to jump Too back, bad his now, son was a turd. We're kind of getting near the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, <laughs> just to throw that in. We're jumping near the end here. Um, so just I wanted to throw that in there sure. kind of as a middle ground, though. Um, but now remember. Avidius Cassius, who I mentioned yes. at the top. Okay. So, the general from the Parthian War, who is in charge of Syria, well, in 175 AD, he decided to rise against Marcus and declare, declare himself the new emperor of Rome. Oh, no. But, 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 there is controversy regarding his motives. He did it because word reached him that Marcus had died during the Marcomania War. Oh. So, Are you telling me it was a misunderstanding? Even more. He was like, no, uh-huh. I deserve this besides the air, well, the sun. Well, he thought, not just deserve it. It's like when a power vacuum happens yeah. and you're one of the strong Someone's people, take you're over. like, well, I, I can keep the Rome together. Mm-hmm. And so he heard Marcus dies. He's like, I, I can lead, right? And so that's what happens. Oh, no. But even more controversially, historian uh, Cassius Dio pointed the finger at Faustina Marcus's wife, um, as For being what? the one who engineered this deception. Allegedly, she also believed that her husband would die in the war and feared that an outsider would kill her son and take the throne by force. Therefore, she preferred Cassius as emperor because he would not take such drastic measures. So she was being preemptive, right? Right. Um, and so 
because he was Cassius, I almost is what they think. I think this is a speculation. I didn't look into is mm-hmm. what they modeled Maximus Aurelius. You know, Mac, my name is Max at the top. Yeah. I think who that's who they modeled after this war general, super sure. whatever like like kind of guy. Right. And so, anyway, that's what I took from Wait. the readings of it. But anyway, wow. So what a misunderstanding. And first of all, but like, eventually he found out Marcus was alive. But Did he back late. down? Oh no, late. he had rallied his troops, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh sh- shit, man!" I <laughs> but but supposedly <laughs> I didn't know you were alive. Supposedly Marcus was a forgiving person, and he said, "You know, whatever." Yeah, like, like you just you're it was fine. a misunderstanding. Supposedly there was some line in there that's it's like it's uh it's mentioned at some point that that might have happened, mm-hmm. but at that point it kind of was already happening. Was already and this underway. was three months in, right, to this kind of like news and all this stuff going down. Um, and it only lasted three months because after the rebellion started, General Cassius was assassinated by his own men who were still loyal to the true emperor. Oh. And they think, this is the good, this is all like speculation, but they think that um, part of the, so you know how I said um, that um, Marcus Aurelius said, hey, no, you're fine. Like, yeah. you're fine, that kind of thing. Supposedly, that could have been a a tactic that rallied all of his people behind him of like this guy is still you know like kind of like a rallying cry yeah. and at that point I think Cassius didn't know what to do and then he gets assassinated anyway it only lasted three months so it was a bang 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 situation that happened what a what a stupid situation to happen to one of your best generals too and again so the thought process was that it was all a misunderstanding but the wife doing that was she did she have a play or was this genuinely like a misunderstanding from her that she, she thought, was just her fears got the best of her and she was trying to pre-plan for the future and then the general kind of heard wrong as in like right now. <laughs> yeah, no, supposedly she was preemptive and thinking that Marcus was going to die so in this he, war. So she just took it upon herself to make this happen. To, to, to try to, she was thinking from what I gathered, now she look was what thinking to save herself and her son essentially. Oh my gosh. But... Right after Marcus comes back, like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> yeah, like, wait a minute. I'm uh, not dead yet. So right after Cassius was assassinated, um, whether the wife was actually involved is uncertain, of course, but mm-hmm. she also died that same year. Even oh. though even though Marcus Aurelius came back and supposedly was a vigilant defender of her, yeah. it was like, no, like, you know, whatever, yeah. that kind of a thing, she still ended up dying the same year. Mm. So hmm. whether he just was a baller <laughs> and he was just like, I'm going to say everything. this. Well, he kept everything. He was smart. For some, you know he's smart. Oh, yeah. Like, it, well, it, it sounded like, again, like that's how when you described the brothers to me, it was like one got a little bit more the athletic and the other person was like, hey, well, I got to be the brains. He seemed if to I'm be. not a big dude, I'm not a hunter, I'm not really a fighter, like a straight up fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, this is like, you know, you take up different mantles. Yeah. And so with the rebellion o- over at this point, Marcus Aurelius was... Aurelius was finally able to return to Rome, where he had his son, Commodus, named co-emperor, right? Because initially he intended for his two sons to rule, as he did with sure. his uh, with Lucius. Oh, to create like a reign of just like, he thought, co-emperors. He thought that was the better move to do, right? Wow. He thought, you know, one to check the other, even the emperor. Because yep. I guess that's what happened in the—I mentioned the other uh, form of— uh, uh, Call it what was the other title? I can't remember. Yeah, um, that makes sense. But his other heir died when he was just a boy. So one of his sons died when he was just a boy. Right. And so at this point, we got <laughs> one Commodus emperor. becomes emperor. Um, and Marcus Aurelius died on March seventeenth, eight one eighty A.D. 
mm-hmm. um, from uh, a really scary hug. Well, in modern day <laughs> Vienna, I don't know mm-hmm. uh, what how he died, but he died in modern day Vienna. Interesting. Um, he was fifty eight years old, so he wasn't real, that old, but yeah. he was. He's For been the times. a lot. Um, and he was followed by his son Commodus, who was the antithesis of his father. Cruel, yeah. vain, merciless, and never again would mighty Rome reach its once uh, reach again its once height of power. Wow. Um, as Cassius Dio put it, after the death of Marcus Aurelius, the empire descended, in quotes, from a kingdom of gold to one of iron and rust. And that's my podcast. Wow. Wow. That's Marcus Aurelius. Can you imagine having a son that like b- that bunch of a bad apple, and you're like, well, I don't have any other sons. He's going to be the emperor. I just got to keep trying to keep him in line. Yeah. I wonder if he knew that he was like, man, I don't know about this kid. And he w- it didn't sound like he was around much. Oh, w- each between other? wars, and I'm sure he yeah. was around. But your father, you're you run into wars and in every other place. You're I don't I don't imagine the emperor's job is is uh not busy. Yeah, and you can't pick up the telephone <laughs> unless you're the the emperor's brother who doesn't have to do as much and can go run around and you know. <laughs> sure, but like yeah, and you can't pick things. up the telephone. You yeah. know what I mean? Can't carry make a your call pigeon. home now. <laughs> Can't say, hey, son, how's it going? Oh, you shouldn't have done that at school yeah. today. <laughs> Calvary school, you shouldn't have knocked the other guy off his horse. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was his life. I thought it was interesting. I love his book. I always, I was a fan of his before doing this. And even just more research on him, he was a great, it seemed like, look, I'm sure there was failings oh, yeah. and faults I'm here. sure there was But faults. I have pretty big, like, uh, you know, um, what's the word? Respect. For this guy, interesting as a figure in history, and I don't have a lot of those personally. And maybe I'll find some more along the way of this yeah. journey of history research. But well, he's hey, one of those guys. If you're interested too, what's the name of the book? Uh, Meditations. Meditations. Okay, yeah. so check that out if you're interested in that and reading some of uh, Marcus's thoughts, his works. It's kind of it's not a linear thing either. It's sure. more of like he writing chapter to a paragraph. Uh, a two sentence line of of his thoughts on morality, whatever it is, sure, kind of that kind of a book, but I it's see. really good, really well, worth good. reading. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, everybody should check that out if you're interested, and if you like that podcast, please subscribe. You're already subscribed. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make that sound like I'm like thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, it's okay, but yeah, and also we have all of our social medias out there, so reach out to us. Uh, with any suggestions, I've already got a suggestion for my next one that I got from a coworker. Nice. So I already know where I'm going with that one. All right. Um, Look forward. But to yeah, it. like a lot of these come from like there's been multiple from suggestions, which has been fantastic. So if anybody wants to, please reach out. Uh, we encourage it to us and let us know if you liked it, what you didn't like, you know, what you want to hear from us later on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're continuing on this train. And, That's right. Uh, we're gonna try to put more and more effort as we can again with time we're kind of back on schedule so yes we're back um thank you guys so much for listening if you want to follow us as casual x history anywhere and we will see you next time all right till next time